0: Today, we explored the last of the five students. Because one time, long time ago, at the time of Kassa dispensation when it was ending where we had a group of seven bhikkhus go up at the top of a cliff without going back over the same details, which we've covered already at least three times in three sutta exploration classes. So today happens to be the last of the remaining five. The first, if you recall, uh, of these bhikkhus uh, became an Arahant. Um, five days into it, when they let go of, they pushed away the ladder that was connecting this huge boulder to the rest of society, so they had isolated themselves. And the second one became an Anagami. At the end of his life, he was uh, he reappeared in the sudhavasa realm, the pure votes, where Brahma gods, specifically, anaga means can only be reborn into. And the rest of the five died because they starved to death. And they ended up just being re, you know, reborn in different deva realms during that, during that long eon until their paramis, their perfections brought them to the time of the dispensation of Lord Buddha, our current dispensation of Lord Buddha Gautama. And we saw how um, Dabba uh, Mallika Buddha, he was the youngest uh, to attain uh, arahanship uh, at seven. And then we saw Bahia Dharu Chirya, Bahia of the bark cloth, and how he grasped so quickly the Buddha's instruction and he attained instantaneously in hearing the verses. And then we also saw Venerable Pukusati, who used to be a king in that very la- uh, lifetime, last lifetime of his. And uh, he had come all the way down to Rajika to meet Lord Buddha. And uh, Lord Buddha came all the way from Savati, over 340 some miles, to see his student whom, who he had never met. I mean, Pukusati had never met his teacher, Lord Buddha. We saw how lovingly he explained to him the Datu Vibhanga Sutta, the elements, where Venerable Pukusati also became Nanagami, and uh, third stage. And then he died. And then we saw last time, in the last class, we saw Venerable Kumara Kasapa.
1: And
0: uh, in the Vamika Sutta, the anthill, or the termite mound, and we saw the riddles. That the Brahman, Anagami, Devata, the God, had posited for him these questions. So today we come to the last of this group, specifically, Venerable Sabian. So, um, as you know, I like to go ahead and, and see whatever. I can share with you um, as far as the background story goes. So to me, it's very interesting to get to, to get a better feel, if you will, of the uh, person to be um, that we'll be studying uh, and the sutta that we'll be exploring. Uh, which comes to us from the suttanipata, which is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, collection of suttas that were, um, that was the collection itself, um, very familiar to um, the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis. So oftentimes we find um, references to the suttas that today also we find and nowhere else other than the Sutta Nipata. So that's where we find Sabhiya Sutta, uh, from the Mahavagga, or the great section uh, of the Sutta Nipata. And again, Sutta Nipata falls in the Kuddaka Nikaya, which is the minor collection. Even though they say it's the minor, but it's pretty vast. You have the Dhammapada, you have the Teragata, you have the Terigata, uh, to name a few. Um, and the jatakas later and and, uh, a bunch of other things also got added, Uh, Melinda Panyao, for example. So who is Sabia? Well, his mother came from a nobility and um, of of that time period. However, her parents had made a vow to in a way, give her off, hand her over to uh, a class of of teachers. And in those days, these were called the Paribhagikas or or, or the wandering ascetics. What these individuals did were they, they explored different philosophical ideas and they enjoyed debating a lot. But they were also very curious to know. So they weren't just like argumentative uh, people who just went from one place to the next to argue to see who's going to win. However, we know that that usually turns into into arguments and rhetoric and uh, it's all a matter of ego and conceit. So without deviating too much, so the parents gave her to this teacher whom they respected. He was uh, one of the teachers at the time of the paribhajikas Paribajika, And unfortunately, he took advantage of her um, and seduced her and got her pregnant, basically. Eventually... Um, she was uh, seen to uh, be carrying a child, so they saw that she was pregnant. And um, sadly, they uh, just dragged her out of the, the, the group and uh, kicked her out of, of that group because obviously it reflected badly on their teacher. So she had to um, bear the pregnancy on her own, unattended, uncared for, and uh, eventually uh, they say she had um, the child who came to be known as Sabia out in the open. And some places you might see that he was uh, born uh, Sabia in in, in a hall in one of those halls where these Paribhajikas would gather to debate, so that's what savya means, it means also a hall, open space, and they used to be big spaces because you would have different Paribhajikas and other recluses would come, sometimes all the way down from the Himalayas for them to uh, exchange ideas, if you will, and to interrogate uh, each other uh, on uh, the subtleties of existence, ontological issues, etc., questions on being, etc. So uh, in time, Sabhya becomes very well known in his own right, because he also becomes uh, a Paribhagika and uh he pursues uh, going from teacher to teacher, while also being guided by his mother, who, uh, by the way, um, um, really excels in the jhana, jhanic practices. And eventually, um, she dies, and she reappears in the Brahma realms. Um, it doesn't say if she attained anagama I mean, stage, but uh, the commentary, uh, commentaries I uh, saw, um, where she was mentioned, uh, they say she reappeared in the Brahma realms, um, so she was using the Brahma viharas, etc. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, the Paribhaja Sabhya, the wandering ascetic Sabhya was going from one part of India to the next. Uh, India would be called, uh, to this day, Some in some texts we see uh, India being called Jambudvipa or jambudipa uh, and that is India, and they say how he was well known throughout India for his expertise in analysis, in asking questions, in formulating ideas, etc. So philosophically, it was very augmented and he became a very well-known dialectician. So to the point where um, they had constructed a hermitage for him where he would also teach, not just wandering ascetics, but also um, the Katya Kumara, they call them. And these were, uh, Katya means the warrior class, so Kumara means the princes. So the warrior class princes um, would go to him so that they could do, if you will, uh, intensive courses in philosophy and different disciplines, literature, etc. So he was very well disciplined in, when it came to um, um, knowledge uh, of, of, of those days. So, um, it was during that time, perhaps he was also, um, was having one of those moments that uh, we have seen with Bahia, the Aruchiriya, uh, where he was thinking, wow, look at me, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people who are bowing down to me saying, Guruji, Guru, 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 Guru. Uh, So, I must be it. I must be that good, I must have really made it. So I must have reached the holy life's goal. So perhaps that was what uh, was going through his mind when guess who appears again? The same Suddhavasa Anagami, Brahma God. The same one who appeared with the other uh, uh, companions of the holy life whom he had known uh, at that time period, uh, during uh, Lord Kassapa, Buddha's uh, dispensation. So, the Suddha Brahma, God, uh, says to him, Hey, there is now a Buddha who has appeared in the world. So, now is the time for you to go ahead and seek him out. But he doesn't uh, give him too much, too many details, um, and asks him a few questions. Now, there's three different versions of this. Um, one version of commentators, uh, commentators say, in, in one of them, they give the version where um, the Suddha God is asking the riddles or the questions about 20 questions and uh, urges him to go and uh, seek out whoever is able to answer these questions. And if this person, this teacher whom he finds is able to answer satisfactorily, then Sabia should become immediately that teacher's student without missing any more opportunities. So this is one version. The other version says, Sabia himself, over the course of his years of teaching and studying, he had formulated these questions himself. These were questions that he didn't find himself to suitably uh, have reached, having reached a conclusive um, definition or understanding of. And so, and then there's the third version. The third version says, that Sabia's own mother had formulated these questions and um, she gave it to him um, prior to her death and uh, those were the questions that he was after so um, but the tendency is that um, it's the first version because it also coincides with the pattern that we've seen with the other four, um, especially the three that we've covered together here, Pukusati, Bahia and Kumara Kassapa, how the Brahma god came in and uh, gave them this uh, instruction, in a sense, to urge them to go towards the Buddha. So um, but without going further into it, um, we'll cover as, as, as they need to uh, when they come up. So this is the, from the Kuddha the minor collection uh, in the Suttanipata, in the Mahabhagga section, Suttanipata uh, number 3.6, Sabiya Sutta. So let's begin. Again, it starts uh, with Venerable Ananda's statement. I have personally heard this, At one time, the Blessed One was living in the squirrel's sanctuary in the bamboo park in the royal city of Rajagha. It was during that time that a certain Deva appeared in front of Sabhya, the wandering ascetic. The Deva, who during an earlier lifetime was a former companion of Sabhya in the holy life, posed a riddle to him by adding the following instruction. Sabia, you must go and lead the holy life under that teacher who happens to be the only one capable of answering this riddle. Then the wandering ascetic Sabhya, having learned the riddle given to him by the deva, went from one recluse to another, Brahmin after Brahmin, meeting them in gatherings large and small, to the respective teachers presiding over these assemblies and gatherings, to his contemporary and famous founders of the prominent sects at that time, as he spoke with those who were recognized and accepted as wise by many. These included Purana Kassapa, Gosala Ajita Kesakambali Pakudha Kachayana, Sanjaya Bellatiputta and Nigantanataputta. These were the prominent figures uh, of of India, uh, Indian spiritual traditions of that time and to this day. Some of them, like Nigantanataputta, he happens to be the Tirthankara or the um, the, uh, of, of the Jain religion, the last uh, Tirtankara. Um, and uh, he, he's also known by Mahavir. And uh, we have these individuals coming up in various different suttas. You see them in the Diga Nikaya, Majjima Nikaya, in this case, Sutta Nipata. And um, they had their own philosophical schools and huge followings. Uh, in particular, you have the last one, Nigantanataputta, who was, uh, <laughs> who had considered himself to be the arch uh, enemy of Lord Buddha, by the way. And we see how he and his followers uh, used to devise one plan, covert operation, if you will, after another to um, cause uh, a major scene or embarrassing situation so uh, about lord buddha or his students to discredit him and we see them uh, again and again in various different suttas uh, we also will see one in uh, one of the suttas that we'll cover in the upali sutta um, so and, and sanjaya is the same one that we um, encounter with a venerable um uh, Sariputta and Mahamogallana. He was their teacher w- at one point, point. Um, and he also happens to be a Paribajaka. So, um, so you have this group that were the best of the best, if you will, of Indian philosophical schools at that time in that part of the uh, Indian uh, subcontinent. So he goes to each of these and, and posits his questions. However, when Sabia, the wandering ascetic, would approach and ask them the riddle, they not only were unable to answer the question, but would openly express anger towards him and often were annoyed by his questions. In addition, they would engage in arguments with him while cross-questioning and debating with Sabia over the riddle for which he sought an answer. Then it occurred to Sabiya. These recluses and Brahmins, whether in, lo- uh, in large or small gatherings, the respective teachers presiding over these assemblies and gatherings, my contemporary and famous founders, my contemporaries and famous founders of these prominent sects, such as Purana Kasapa, Makkali Gosala, Ajita Kesakambali, Pakudha Kachayana. Sanjaya Belatiputta and Niganta Nataputta. When questioned about this riddle, they have not been able to give me an answer, and as a result, openly expressed anger towards me, and often are annoyed by my questions. Not only that, but they also engage in arguments with me while cross-questioning and debating with me over the riddle for which I seek an answer. Then, being alone and discouraged thus, Sabia reflected to himself by considering, why don't I just give up this holy life and return back to living the lowly life of pursuing sensual enjoyments? Simply because Sabia was born to his mother who happened to be at one point a follower of the Paribajikas does not mean that he automatically was to be a recluse at birth he had relinquished being a layman and he had made the decision to become a wandering ascetic later in life uh, when he became an adult so that's what he's referring to um, going back um, and it is compared you know compared to um, the lay life compared to living the spiritual or holy life is always looked down upon. And that's why we see the word lowly or um, uh, substandard to the holy life, if you will. Now, this uh, does not mean necessarily that because of the person shaving their head or putting on um, donning uh, robes is automatically living the spiritual life. we need to be careful about that because many lay people Uh, who are devout practitioners might in fact be living the spiritual life. So we need to be uh, cognizant of that subtle but very important difference. Um, But when we look at how he got suddenly discouraged, well, he was in his 20s, mid-20s perhaps, and when you yourself have these questions and you've been urged to go and find the person whom you will call a teacher and because he could not find anybody who was of his level and he had gone to the best of the best to his knowledge because these were all elders to him these were all elders compared to him to lord buddha So this is happening at Lord Buddha's earliest days of his dispensation. This is like really when Lord Buddha's Nibbana is, um, uh, is, is, you know, quite um, uh, relatively um, early on in his career as a Buddha, if you will. So it's very fresh, not to demean um, in any way, the meaning of, of the Nibbanic experience, which is always fresh. Um, so he's becoming discouraged suddenly because he's like, well, I went and knocked on all these doors, and these were it. There's nobody else. But right at that moment, continuing on with the sutta, the thought occurred to him, to Sabya, but wait, the recluse Gotama also has a large group of disciples. He, too, is a teacher presiding over many assemblies and gatherings, He is well known and famed for having crossed over to the other shore. Then he thought to himself, what if I went and approached the Reckluskotama and asked him about the answer to this riddle? But then his other uh, left brain kicked into the gear, I guess you could say, where he started cross questioning himself about uh, the decision to go and, and, and see Lord Buddha. But then it occurred to Savya again, how the recluses and Brahmins he had gone to are old and advanced in years. As he reflected, these elders have led the holy life for a long time. Yet, when I asked for an answer to this riddle, they were unable to give me an answer as well as becoming angry and annoyed with me. Where they even cross questioned me argumentatively. Now, if that is the case then how could the Reclus Gotama, who happens to be much younger than these elderly teachers, give me the answer to this riddle? So if they couldn't do it, how could this young new kid on the block, if you will, be able to give me these the answers to these very complex questions, he's thinking. After all, the recluse Gotama is young and has only recently gone forth. But then he pondered on the matter further and considered, even though many recluses may be young in age however recluses should neither be looked at with contempt nor their level of knowledge undermined for it is a fact that there are young recluses who are both powerful in their psychic abilities as well as in being wise so we see that he debated with himself and reached a a solid conclusion What if I approach the recluse Gautama and ask him for the answer to my riddle? Uh, So again, here we see how it is no coincidence where we see this sutta taking place at the earliest stages of uh, the Buddha's career as a teacher and also being the oldest. The Sutta Nipata, this, this collection of suttas, which has been used again and again by uh, the Buddha himself, uh, where you have students who would come in and they would use uh, references to one of these suttas in the Sutta Nipata. And they would come to Lord Buddha and say, uh, Great teacher, or blessed one, when you said these verses, what did you mean? Could you, you know, uh, explain elaborate on these and um, that also allows us to crisscross and go back and identify uh, the age of the sutta nipata and the validity of the suttas being mentioned or in question versus some other suttas that uh, come out of nowhere and they're not mentioned other than just once in the nikayas Um, that's one way to know that there's a corruption something that was added later on, uh, definitely after the first council. So these things allow us to be a little bit more aware to do our part in, if you will, textual analysis in our right, in identifying the legitimacy of some suttas, just the background of, of, of things to look, uh, watch out for. So, having made up his mind, the wandering ascetic Saviya set off on his journey walking in stages in the direction of the Blessed One, while knowing at that time that Lord Buddha was staying within the squirrel sanctuary in the royal city of Rajagaha at the bamboo park. Once having reached the Blessed One, Sabia, the wandering ascetic exchanged friendly greetings with the teacher and then sat to one side and said, by the way, that is the proper way of asking a question uh, to um, Lord Buddha and of course, any of uh, the bhikkhus uh, or bhikkhunis. Uh, you cannot be standing while you're asking the question while the teacher is sitting. Um, so it, it, it shows disrespect otherwise. So he, here are his, um, here's his, uh, his approach. I have come to you with many doubts, and with much trepidation, blessed one, desiring to ask my questions. Please put them to rest. And may my doubts be dispelled by receiving my answers one by one according to the Dhamma." Um, Something that I saw in, in researching this sutta uh, was how the questions that we're gonna see one after another, the commentators say that these questions contained in this sutta um, to be asked by Sabia had already been asked and answered at the time of uh, Kassapa Buddha. Uh, But unfortunately, while the questions remained, the answers disappeared. So you need a buddha to answer these questions. And that when the when the answers are not there, it means simply that you're living in a dark age, as far as the Dhamma is concerned. So the questions trickle down eons later, and then here they are in front have reached another Buddha, Lord Buddha. Uh, And let's see what he says. In reply, the Blessed One said, Sabia, you come from afar indeed, desiring to ask your questions. I will put your doubts to rest, dispelling them all as I answer your questions one by one, according to the Dhamma. Ask now your questions, Sabia, however you wish. And I will put to rest each and every one of your questions, along with your doubts, one by one. Now, there is a term. It's called sabbanyupavarana. sabbanyupavarana is always used in relation to a buddha. And any, not any kind of Buddha, not like a Pacheca Buddha, uh, silent or uh, one that is unable to teach, but a fully self-awakened Buddha. So this statement which we just saw Lord Buddha uh, make to Sabia that I will be able to answer your questions one by one, that is a statement that only a Buddha can make that's what we see in the suttas, that's what we see in the commentaries, because it entails giving the correct answer, despite the nature of the question. Um, so this is a quality that a Buddha has to have in order for them to be a sabbanyuno or, or self-awakened uh, Buddha, sammasam Buddha. So uh, whatever the, the, question, uh, the questioner might posit, uh, the buddha himself will be able to give this visitor the permission to ask it and because then only a buddha is capable to answer now some might bring in the 10 questions that the buddha refused to answer during his dispensation well wait a minute uh, how come the buddha didn't answer those well very simple they didn't lead to Nibbana, they didn't lead to wisdom. They were just metaphor, meta, metaphysical wanderings, just curiosities, which do not help to reduce suffering. So that's why Lord Buddha had told Ananda or Sariputta, if anybody comes over asking me these metaphysical questions, I'm not interested. I'm not engaging in any philosophical debates with anyone. I teach two things, the Buddha said, suffering and the way out of suffering. Knowing if a Buddha exists after death or not, how is that going to help you get rid of your suffering? End of argument. So there were 10 questions like these that the Buddha did not want. But uh, the pavarana term is a quality that Lord Buddha could make such a statement, which he just did to Sabia. Then it occurred to the wandering ascetic Sabia, this is amazing. This is wonderful. While only, uh, while other recluses and Brahmins did not even give me a chance to speak or ask my questions fully here, the recluse Gotama not only is giving me his consent, but is even encouraging me to ask my questions. In being thus inspired and thoroughly pleased, Savya, the wandering ascetic, began asking the blessed one his questions by acquiring what can one be truly called a bhikkhu what is self-restraint and the meaning of being tamed what is meant by awakening may the blessed one please explain these to me and the blessed one replied sabiya when he walks on the path that leads to release When Nibbana is known for oneself and all doubts are finally removed, giving up both becoming and non-becoming with no more rebirth awaiting for him, one lives out the very last of countless rebirths, completing the goal of the holy life. It is this person who is to be called a bhikkhu. Already we see this, the bar being set so high. We use the term bhikkhu left and right or "bikuni left and right these days. It's like a, you know, it's a term just like any other term. But here we're seeing a sublime version of it being placed properly defined as to how Lord Buddha understands the term. It's not loosely used, it's not open for interpretation in a sense. You see here the practice all throughout, walking the path that leads to release, to liberation. Nibbana is known for oneself. The person knows it for one for oneself through one's own efforts. Giving up both becoming and non-becoming. This is uh, talking about also the asavas, the contaminants. Bhava asava, which is the desire to be, to become, or not become, just you want it to be ending as soon as possible, which indicates a high level uh, of, of attainments, but even that is not enough. So the person has to go beyond that, where no more rebirth is awaiting for this person. And the person is living the last of one's rebirths. There's not going to be any more rebirth. That is the person to be called a bhikkhu, Lord Buddha says. And then he continues to answer his second question, which was about self restraint mindful and equanimous everywhere he goes, intending no harm to anyone in the world, never conceited. The reckless is one who has crossed over, unperturbed. This is his self-restraint. When we talk about precepts, when we talk about rules, in case of monks, for example, we need to always ask ourselves, who am I doing this for? Who am I restraining myself for, ultimately? Especially when there's no one around you or no one can hear your thoughts. But your thoughts are there. So, have you taken your sila inward? Has it become part of you? Is it truly internally virtuous behavior that's taking place inside of you? That's when self restraint is moving from the superficial. Well, I practice the five precepts. Thank you very much. Or the eight, or the 10, or the 227. Has it gone deeper into oneself? And this is where we see something I've mentioned again and again. Um, You see this a lot in the Anguttara Nikaya, which unfortunately does not get to be talked about in many uh, circles these days for some reason, which I don't know why, but it should. Otherwise it will lead to what Lord Buddha mentions here, never conceited there is absolute absence of mana which is conceit I am better than you you are better than me we are equal to each other all conceit but the true self-restraint is one that goes beyond because the mind no longer is perturbed Lord Buddha says here Continuing on, living in the world, he is supported by faculties that are developed both internally and externally, as he piercingly sees through this and the other world, having already made good use of his time. This is the meaning of being tamed. The Person has no time to lose. They're using their senses, their faculties, internally and externally externally in this case would be their physical body Um, that would be one way of uh, interpreting it of course Um, and in their own activities with the uh, world and he piercingly sees through this and the other world Um, so when i started my journey on on the dhamma um, years ago i would be shocked to see uh, oftentimes individuals talking to me, explaining to me that the holy life at best can deliver us to a deva realm. So study the suttas, memorize them, practice them. Yeah, but Nibbana is not gonna happen here type of a, they actually explicitly said that to me several times in different circles of uh, monks and, and nuns, which was surprising. So in this case, we're seeing here, he said Lord Buddha says, he piercingly sees through this and the other world, and having made uh, already good use of his time here. So there's no delay. So in other words, sang vega, the urgency is there. It's like the person's hair is on fire. They don't have time to postpone, to think about, well, I'll do it tomorrow. next year after i've done all my other things on my list to-do list next thoroughly discerning the residues of ages past together with their constant arisings and vanishings pure without any defilements or passions left in him he arrives at the end of rebirth this is the meaning of awakening so basically in a nutshell he gave the answers to all of his questions, even the ones that are co- to come. But so you can consider the other questions to be like sub uh, sections or like the footnotes of these. But uh, just a quick, because there's a lot of them and I want to cover them in time, to finish and have you ask questions if you have any. Uh, he says, thoroughly discerning the residues of ages past. Sanyas and Sankaras often are um, things that we engage with in form of shadow boxing, if you will, we're constantly engaged with them. They make up uh, who we are, what we think of life, we interpret life, notions, concepts, interpretations, expectations, labels, memories, can all fit into sanya, different definitions of it. Sankaras is the one that takes over from sanya, the baton and starts building and building and constructing the storyteller, if you will. It picks up a memory and boom, it takes off, it's gone. But these are all residues of ages past. Sometimes people ask, well, I need to get rid of this, or I need to know why am I so restless in my sit? Why do I have so much doubt about the teacher, the teaching, the Buddha, whatever? Or why do I get so drowsy? Okay, as a teacher, you would be able to tell them, for example, um, how's your ask them, how's the, uh, your precepts? Are you breaking any? because usually uh, it stems from there. However, that's not the whole story. We don't have a Buddha that can penetrate into one's past in a limitless past and identify you did this in such and such a lifetime which you're now dealing with. So what do we do? Sooner or later, the meditator needs to come to grips with the understanding that they need to stop caring. Stop caring about the sanyas and the sankharas and just focus on their arising and vanishing. That's all. Adana sagga, Picking up only to give up. Picking up only to give up. Instead of holding on to it, ubadana, grasping and saying, ah, because the rest of your life is just going to be dedication to doing a dissertation on that in your mind and get nowhere and time is passing valuable time is slipping through our fingers so the buddha says uh, understanding but moving beyond seeing their rising seeing their uh, disappearance Uh, without being agitated with passion viraga absence of passion or dispassion that needs to be allowed to send down its roots in the person Uh, instead of running away from this passion we need to embrace that as as a, a manifestation of our practice then, after Lord Buddha answered the first uh, section of his questions, the wandering ascetic Sabia, rejoicing and being utterly pleased in hearing the Blessed One's response, asked a further question: By acquiring what can one be truly called a Brahmin? Earlier, he was asking about bhikkhu, now a Brahmin. How? Uh, excuse me. Who is a recluse? And by doing what can one be washed, cleansed? how can one become a naga? May the blessed one please explain these to me. Then the blessed one replied, "Savia, in being cleansed of all that is unwholesome, shaken off the impure, with a thoroughly collected mind that is stainless, he looks on, having completely overcome the cycles of rebirth and no longer being soiled by them. This is the meaning of being a true Brahmin. So there's no way that the person can be um, sullied by the unwholesome. It's almost like the image of walking through the mud and you come out of it and there's no mud left on you. There's no residue. Remember the sanya and sankaras. They are the great deceivers. They need time, however, in order for them to stretch themselves out and to try to be seemingly real. That is the thing that can carry over, just like the mud that can stick to you after you come out of a muddy pool. But when the person just drops off the sanya, when they do occur, noticing not the content, not their details. Remember, just like in the case of Bahia, Lord Buddha was saying, when seeing, just see Bahia. When hearing, just hear. Don't stretch it out. Don't pull it into time. and Bring it over with you. And there won't be any residue. You would have already shaken off the impure. Why? Because you have been observing what really matters. They're arising and they're vanishing, which is another form of saying, another way of saying, seeing anicca take place. And when a person sees anicca take place, they immediately, and when it becomes a habit of seeing instead of the content of the sanya, suddenly, because of our seeing the anicca, in every compounded condition, thing, situation, phenomena, immediately there arises viraga, which is dispassion. There's disenchantment and then dispassion. We become dispassionate towards this thing, this experience, this object, this phenomenon. And as we discover that, there is cessation. There is an ending. Ending, Niroda. And because of that ending, the next time this uh, this same scenario or something similar to that happens, guess what? There is Patini Sagga, which is the giving up. The giving up. Earlier I was mentioning about Adana Patini Sagga, picking up only to give up. That's what takes place. And a person who lives like this is the true Brahman. Lord Buddha says. So he continues, giving up both good and bad, the calmed one no more gathers any dust. So he's saying what I was referring to. Uh, He knows this world and the other, while overcoming birth and death altogether. It is he who is called a recluse. And in the case of Recluse, he's also uh, Sabia being a paribhajaka. He's referring to that. Who's who's really a paribhajaka, Bhante? Who is it? And Lord Buddha just gave it to him. It's not you walking around with dreadlocks, practically naked, sitting there amongst other peers of yours and, and talking and debating with fancy Sanskrit means nothing because you're just gathering dust. Talk to me about overcoming death and birth altogether, and then I'll call you a paribhajaka, Lord Buddha saying. Continuing on, having cleansed oneself of all wrong actions, whether in thought, words, or in bodily behavior in the world, there is no more desire left in him for either the celestial or human birth. In this manner, he is considered to be washed. So We find this all throughout, resonating in the suttas. Lord Buddha always is focusing on having the listener use whatever they heard to practice it. And not to say, well, you know, I might not reach Nibbana in this life, but I can go to, let's say, the heavenly realms. The Buddha says, I'm here, I am here, use me. I'm teaching you, do these things to get yourself out of this mess called samsara, don't waste time. Doing no wrong in the world, he cuts off all fetters that bind, released, he goes freely everywhere, unattached and stainless. This is the meaning of being a true Naga. In Naga, I think I mentioned in the uh, last uh, sutta uh, class we had, uh, Naga is a term for uh, uh, a class of beings. Um, they are uh, higher than humans. They're very powerful. And um, they usually are uh, correlated, if I, if I can say that word, uh, they are introduced usually together with the devas, even though they're totally different classes uh, from each other. The nagas uh, also, um, the, the word naga represent a, represents a person who's achieved a, a certain status, specifically arahant. And this is an honor uh, that um, Lord Buddha wanted to honor the naga beings uh, by uh, giving them this, uh, denoting this term uh, to refer to the Yadahans. And also any uh, organism that is huge and powerful, like an elephant, is called a naga. It's also called uh, a yogi, who's who's very developed, can be uh, termed as a naga, uh, whales and uh, large organisms in the ocean also are called nagas. Uh, the great naga is considered uh, to be the Buddha, as far as the suttas are concerned. Um, and all cut, uh, cutting all fetters, uh, that means the samyojanas are all gone. That means the person is a full arahant. Ten are gone, the ten, uh, both five lower and five upper fetters are destroyed. Now, the wandering ascetic Sabia rejoiced while being inspired and grateful in hearing the blessed one's response, and with joy swelling in his heart, he asked a further question. How is the field won by the victor, according to the Buddhas? In what way is one cleverly skilled? Who is the wise one? And how can the sage be recognized? May the blessed one please explain these to me. Then the Blessed One replied, Sabia, by having thoroughly considered all fields of existence, be they heavenly, human, or Brahma, while becoming disenchanted by all of them, one is released from the roots that bind a person to these realms. This is how the field is won by the victor, according to the Buddhas. Now, some translators uh, explain this as uh, the three levels of existence, like the kama loka, rupa loka, and arupa loka, or uh, desire realm, form realm, and formless realm. Uh, and other times, it can also be referring to the three defilements, Loba, dosa, moha. So, in here, it's uh, it, it is more fitting to use these given the context um however you can use them of course the other uh, versions as well because there's different versions of this uh, some translators wanted to keep the verse-like almost like poetic uh flow um in the in the answers that lord buddha gives um I'm not a big fan of that because as a meditating practitioner and a teacher of meditation, my focus is getting the juice out of what the Lord Buddha is trying to say to the best of my understanding uh, and and sharing that and making that more contemporary in a language that people can understand given their practice or respective stages of the practice rather. Um, Having thoroughly considered all the treasure houses, whether found in the heavenly human or Brahman realms, while becoming disenchanted by all of them, one is released from the roots that bind a person to these treasure houses. This is the way in which one can become cleverly skilled. Uh, The roots, roots that bind, fetters, uh, shackles, trappings, traps. Uh, Nets, all these are terms that we see a lot in this sutta. As we progress in our path, we gain a lot of ideas, uh, concepts, uh, sannyas, if you will. They are sanyas, eventually. And a conceit comes up. uh, Certain experiences we might have. And all of a sudden, we have ideas. We used to have different ideas but now we have different ideas we might even call them sublime different super mundane even compared to looking down to where we came from but essentially so long as they're as they're not relinquished they are still roots and shackles that bind they need to be relinquished they need to be relinquished and that is the message that we see all throughout the sutta here, is, uh, the paragraph was saying cleverly skilled seeing through these and this is uh, also plays beautifully into what i was mentioning during uh, the previous few talks i've given where even the dhamma i mentioned can become an addiction it can become a fetter a sangyojana itself but No one's going to know your thoughts other than you. You might be so skilled to fool yourself and even the teacher. The teacher is very... I mean, you can easily uh, convince the teacher of something or other. But the practice is the thing which is going to allow you and your own honesty to pierce through the ignorance. That is avijja, Because even the most knowledgeable Dhamma, master, whatever you want to call it, can become full of avidya. So please be cleverly skilled, Lord Buddha is saying. Uh, Having fully examined the mind's purity as well as the purity found in the external world, he becomes disenchanted by what they offer the world. Looking upon them with wisdom that is truly pure, as he overcomes both the dark and the white, transcending both. It is by possessing this discernment that one is called wise. If you recall in the beginning of the meditation, I mentioned, please stop forcing the mind to do something, anything, to stop moving, to do this, to reach a sublime state, to reach a jhana, et cetera. Because what that would be otherwise you are dissatisfied with the way things are. So you want to change things. That's when we run into problems. We want to change things from what to what? From bad to good. There's several verses in the um, Kandavimutti, Mutti of Ajahn Man, and he um, talks about the khandas and how to um, break free from them. And in it, he talks about beautifully in verses as well. Um, and he was an arahant of course. He talks about good and bad and how these become impediments in the practice, in the, in the mind of the practitioner it binds us it's like we putting the lasso around our own waist around our own arms by wanting constantly to experience the good the other which is another play of the sannyas nothing's different it's the same thing with just using a different language so whether internally or externally, clearly distinguishing the genuine Dhamma for that which is not, from that which is not, meaning a he is one who is worthy of the veneration and love of devas and humans alike. Having transcended both the shackles and the trap, he is the one recognized as the sage. Simply because there are devas doesn't mean that they are enlightened or awakened. There's many deluded devas. But there's also devas who are arahants and noble disciples. So uh, sometimes we need to make that distinction. Um, but see, you see how these each of these verses, uh, they kind of are echoing elements of the previous paragraph, previous answers, such as treating the Dhamma in a way where it does not become an addiction means uh, being able to distinguish what is adhamma from what is genuine dhamma. And that's why we need to go back to the suttas and really get familiarized with them. And never take it at face value. Uh, Our practice or what some teachers are saying, you know, we need to go back to the source. In hearing these words, the wandering ascetic Sabiya again rejoiced while being inspired and grateful listening as he did to the blessed one's response. And with his heart and mind full of joy, he asked his next question. By acquiring what can one attain to perfect knowledge? How is one meticulously examined? In what way can one become full of effort? And for what reason is one called a thoroughbred May the Blessed One please explain these to me. To this, the Blessed One replied in the following manner. Savya, by examining all the knowledges available, whether those of recluses or Brahmins, one dismisses all feelings attached to them, remaining unblemished by the passions as he goes beyond all knowledge. He is the one who attains to perfect knowledge. Remember, Lord Buddha is saying this to a paribhajaka, a wandering ascetic whose life has been all about gathering ideas, philosophical uh, standpoints, uh, uh, different theorems, different ideas, interpretations of how uh, metaphysical ideas, of course, and concepts, even beliefs, which inevitably lend the person to develop strong emotions feelings towards them meaning passions towards them if you've ever seen watched the debate uh, with you know modern day uh, individuals talking heads you see how they can things get quite impassioned rather quickly um, and and all civility goes out the door sometimes people want to punch each other's lights out um, and like and they all were like shaking hands cordial yes yes please you first you sir yes and uh, well because they're lost in delusion they're quite blemished <laughs> by their passions unlike what lord buddha is saying becoming or remaining unblemished by the passions and going beyond all knowledge Next, having understood both internally and externally the proliferation of materiality and mentality, Nama Rupa. The root cause of disease, one is then released from all the roots that pervasively tie one up to suffering. In this way, one becomes meticulously examined, being able to identify Nama from Rupa. Remember, Rupa is what we get from our parents. comprised of roughly the four primary elements and then when we get to the nama portion we're talking about the mental qualities mental qualities intention attention perception etc so being able to identify something that uh, a little bit more down-to-earth reference could be made to I remember when I used to train people uh, in fitness and nutrition and people would come to me and I would ask them, how often do they eat uh, food and uh, their complaint, let's say in in one example, is is about obesity or overeating. So my job at at one point or another would be to tell this person to distinguish as to where the hunger was coming from. Was there hunger? Because oftentimes there is a lack of appetite, but the brain is coming in and says, hey, we're supposed to eat this bagel, even though they are not hungry, versus listening to the body when it is hungry. And if one listens to the body when it is hungry and just eats during that window, during that time, guess what, they're not gonna get overweight. Chances are, of course there are exceptions and people might say, well, well wait a minute. You know, no, it's, it's, you know, these distinctions need to be made and this is just one, uh, again, superficial example, but being able to distinguish what's happening internally and externally vis-a-vis namarupa, and how they drag us in. Identification is another example. This is me, this is my race, this is my ethnicity, this is my, these are my people, Etc. All of these are proliferations, getting us nowhere except stuck. Um, refraining from all evil actions, exerting oneself with persistence and leaving behind all hellish misery. His perseverance is relentless, always arousing himself with renewed effort to steadily endeavor with resoluteness, despite everything. It is in such a way that one becomes full of effort. I mean, I I don't think there was anything left to doubt the importance of effort there Um, in the Buddha, Lord Buddha's uh, answer. But something as uh, came to mind uh, regarding the five, if you recall, the, the five bhikkhus, one of whom is Sabia we're covering today, on that uh, uh, rock, uh, top of the rock where they were starting. Well the first of the seven who became an Arahant and later the Anagami, two days later he became an Anagami, uh, these two in attaining the first one, arahanship, the second one, non-return. They also attained access to psychic abilities. It does happen with, uh, with meditators uh, who uh, attain to those lofty states of arahanship, especially. But it seems that these were taking place at the time of Lord Buddha a lot more frequently because we see them a lot in the suttas. Where a person reaches Arahantship and all of us, including Venerable Ananda, for example, uh, after attaining Arahantship, he had psychic abilities, whereas others did not, like even Venerable Sariputta didn't have those abilities. Uh, but versus today, um, um, today, as in when you read stories of uh, Arahants, uh, Sayadaws or Ajans or uh, Bhantes in Sri Lanka, They're not going to flaunt the abilities. They're not going to, you're not going to see them on front news or, you know, page uh, about their abilities. But I just wanted to mention uh, how the effort part, yes, um, sorry, I deviated. Um, They both brought food for the other five. They went, flew through the air, got, brought food to them, for them. But they were like, no, no. They even asked the question, friends, did we have a pact in the beginning when we threw away the ladder that if one of us attains and goes and gets food, we're going to eat? And they say, no, we didn't have that pact. Okay, then leave us alone. Let us practice our aditana, our determination and push through. Well, there goes that life because those five died. And they just went loitering or, you know, just lingering in the Deva realms, when they could have at least attained sotapanna stage, which none of them had attained. So we need to be exercising wisdom. That is uh, why I paused here with, with the full of effort, because without wisdom, as is the case with any of the principles covered in the Dhamma, without wisdom, it can be a stumbling block. It can be a hindrance, if you will. Uh, even Aditana can become, because it's no longer Aditana. It's no longer pure determination, because there is some conceit there. Just like it was with Bahia, who was conceited into thinking that he was an Arahant when he wasn't. People were respecting him, bowing down, giving him food, but he thought, well, maybe I am an Arahant. No, you weren't. And that's where his friend came to tell him. So conceit is, it can never replace uh, full of effort that Lord Buddha is talking about. And uh, the Deva, the, the anagami mean, Brahma, God who's there urging them uh, is really going above and beyond. <laughs> and being so loving and caring and compassionate to find these five companions of his from a previous life. And... Um, Because they were simply conceited Had they eaten Chances are They would have attained In that very lifetime Because they It sounds like they had the paramis Because those two others did attain At the very least They could have attained sotapanna Indefinitely being brought food Would allow them Because they did have the energy Which is wonderful Let's go back to this stuff Having severed the fetters both internally and externally, cut loose from their roots and sticky snares, being fully released finally from all entanglements that bind, he is one recognized as the thoroughbred. Hearing these words, the wandering ascetic Sabia felt his heart gladden and rejoice even more while being thankful for the blessed one's words as he continued to ask his next question. By acquiring what, can one be said to be wisely learned? In what way can one be called noble one? How can one be developed in good conduct? And how does one become a wandering ascetic? Again, we go back to the paribhajaka. wandering, how can I be a better paribhajaka is saying, or how, what is the idea? May the blessed one please explain these to me. And the blessed one replied by saying, Sabia, by seeing the true essence behind all phenomena, directly knowing the Dhamma wherever one looks in the world, for he has conquered both the faulty and the faultless. With unprecedented certainty in his heart, wherever he is to be, he remains untroubled and released. This is the one said to be wisely learned having conquered both whatever is blameworthy and whatever is blameless they surpass it's another way of saying good and bad that doesn't mean that the Arahant now is going to go ahead and break the precepts no no not at all it's it's one it's they're one and the same mahasati is there mahapanya is there and when you have mahasati that's always there with you, mindfulness, it's impossible for the person to break any precepts, any rules. They are the Dhamma. And that's why the Lord Buddha says, unprecedented certainty in his heart. That means there's no doubt whatsoever, which also means the person has reached the state of arahanship. Ajan Mahabhua, for example, uh, uh, encouragingly, uh, says how until one reaches arahanship, there's going to be a smidgen, a little bit, at least, of uncertainty, even if a person is sotapanna, sakadagami, or anagami. Until we've reached that state of arahanship, that's when we will get to that purest form of uncertainty. There's no more doubt at all about oneself. I'm not talking about the dhamma because that comes with uh, no more doubts. That is comes when the person attains uh, the vision, which is the first stage. Having cut himself free from the contaminants, asavas, he no longer settles anywhere. Directly knowing this for oneself, he does not come to any womb again. Uprooting the threefold sannyas that defile, with no further substrates to seek out further or rely upon, he indeed is the one known as a noble one. There's no more womb to go to, meaning there's no birth. Uh, this past week was my birthday, and um, I, you know, uh, I had some people uh, text me or message me and saying, "Oh, may you." Um, I had one particular person say, "Oh, may you have many, many births." And I went like, "No, no, 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 no! Don't make that wish for me." <laughs> It's the worst thing that you could tell a person. Uh, um, that's one of the reasons why we can say that as Buddhists, we're terrified, not of death, but of births <laughs> because of what it entails. Uh, so, uh, the, only, the one living the holy life, having seen the Dhamma is established in higher virtuous behavior while understanding the teachings, living with versatility, while freed from all inner agitation. With his heart thus liberated from both attachment and revulsion, it is he who is considered one of good conduct. So there isn't like and dislike. So basically we have passed beyond sanya, worshiping the sanya. We're seeing sanya for what they are. We're seeing sankaras for what they are. And these are not terms. They're not terms that we memorize. These are not things that we see this and that, yeah, yeah. No, these are living experiences that only you know when you're going through it, but in the presence of wisdom. When there is agitation in the heart, in the mind, there is sanya dominating, period. When there is agitation in the mind or heart, there is sankhara at work. That's what we mean by identification. This is me, this is mine, this is who I am. The sanyas are the great deceivers. We lose our grip on the sanya, we lost it. So we need to be really, really holding that, those reins tightly on the sanya observing as they come up not trying to get rid of them because they will go on their own because they're also anicca; they're conditioned conditioned by things and actions we've committed through eons which are just normal ripples that are now reaching us at the edge of this life whatever intended actions that ripen into suffering and distress whether above, below, all around, and in between, he completely gives them all up, dropping conceit, craftiness, greed, and anger. He puts an end to Namarupa, making him the one to be called the wandering ascetic, the one accomplished indeed. Uh, Here's where the blessed one's responses finish to the questions of Sabia and we'll see soon how they impact Sabia. Um, <laughs> what we don't see in the sutta is that, in addition to Sabia, there was another person, uh, which the commentaries of the Theragata, where we have Sabia's verses, um, mention the last verse, uh, portions of the verses where the Buddha kind of goes, um, you know, almost like scoldingly addressing. And if you're very careful with the verses, you'll see like, what was that all about type of a thing? And the commentary of the Theragata tells us that there was, along with Savya, a companion of his, Yasadatta, who was also a Paribhajaka, who had joined him on his trip to go and see the Buddha. But his intention was not necessarily pure, meaning he wanted to engage in a debate with Lord Buddha. So he was just basically taking notes, taking notes. Okay, okay. Yeah, you said this to that one. Okay, let me come back to this later on, because I'm going to have a rebuttal here, Mr. Like, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah. So as Yasadatta is (laughs) doing that, Lord Buddha turns to him reading his mind and just shakes him up a little bit. And uh, and this is in case you uh, wanna see the verse, it's in the uh, Book of Fours in the taragata in chapter 1, um, uh, 4.3. And uh, Lord Buddha, I, I uh, copy-pasted here, Lord Buddha's statement to Yasadatta, he says, Whoever has no respect for their spiritual companions is as far from true Dhamma as the sky is from the earth. And in the commentary, they say this so impacted Yasadatta, kind of broadsided him. He didn't know where it came from, but he was shaken to the point where he realized his mistake immediately and he... Uh, also joined um, the big orders and in time also attained arancha. So back to the sutta itself. Then, in hearing these long-awaited responses spoken by the Blessed One, the wandering ascetic Sabhya, grateful, inspired and utterly pleased, quietly and with the utmost care, arose from his seat and while arranging his upper robe on one shoulder, and with his palms gently joined in front of his heart, came closer and began venerating the blessed one while speaking these heartfelt verses. O great teacher of vast wisdom, you have transcended the dark flood, crossing over the 63 wrong views of the wandering ascetics, doctrines that are false refuges, each and every one depending on nothing more than hearsay, baseless concepts, conclusions about others' statements in empty words. You have gone to the very end, the farther shore, existing beyond suffering. You are the Arahant, rightfully self-awakened one. And I have firm faith that the blessed one has destroyed all the contaminants. You are resplendent, wise beyond any measure. O finisher of Dukkha, you have delivered me from suffering. Whatever doubts I had, you dispelled them by carrying me over to the other shore. I pay homage to you, O unequaled sage, you who dwell in the attainment of deep understanding. You are gentle and kind, O kinsman of the sun. Whatever uncertainties I had earlier, the wise one dispelled them for me. Being the one who sees in the pitch blackness of ignorance, you indeed are the all-knowing sage with no hindrances left. All your troubles are cut at their roots and made useless. You are a result of the Dhamma, self-tamed, cooled, and the essence of truth. O best of men, great hero, the greatest of Nagas, all gods rejoice in listening to your words, including the Naradas and Pabbatas. Homage to you, O thoroughbred, homage to you, O greatest of men, in the vastness of, war, vastness of world systems, whether of gods or humans, there is none to compare to you. You are the awakened one. You are the generous teacher. You are the sage who has conquered Mara. You have removed all the underlying corruptions, the Anupseyas, from the heart. Having crossed over, you guide the rest of us, so we too transcend to the other shore. You have gone beyond all endearments, with contaminants, asavas, completely torn apart. You are a lion, free of grasping, having abandoned all fears, big or small. As a graceful lotus stands stainless above the surface, not being smeared whether by mud or water, you are not smeared whether by good or evil. Kindly stretch your feet, O hero, so I may touch it with my forehead, for Sabia has found his teacher. Beautiful, just beautiful. And in these statements we see when he says the uncertainties are gone. He just declared that he is now a sotapanna at the very least. His delusions, his, his uncertainties, his doubts are gone. At the very least, he has attained Sotapanna because he has now the Dhamma eye to see all these qualities. So he's not just giving accolades and just, you know, um, complimenting Lord Buddha, if you will. These are things that he's feeling viscerally, as demonstrated by his very last statement, because he has found his teacher finally. Then Sabhya, the wandering ascetic, by gently placing his head at the feet of the Blessed One said, It is excellent, Lord. It is marvelous, Bante. The Blessed One has made the Dhamma clear to me in many ways. I feel as though the Tathagata has turned upright what was overturned, revealing what was hidden, showing the correct path to someone who was lost, as though one were to bring a lamp into the darkness for all those with eyesight to see. Bhante, I go for refuge to the blessed one, to the Dhamma and to the Sangha of bhikkhus. May I be given the going forth and the higher ordination in the blessed one's presence. So going forth is the Samanera ordination, novice ordination and the higher ordination is the upasampada. So he's asking them. For them, but because he's coming from a different sect, a different tenet, a different belief system. uh, Then there are certain rules which we'll find out and the Blessed One said Sabia anyone who has belonged earlier to another sect or belief who desires the going forth and the higher ordination in this dispensation should stay under probation for four months. And only at the end of those four months, that period, if the bhikkhus are satisfied, they would give him the going forth and a higher ordination. Although this is put in place, I nevertheless do recognize individual differences in this matter. So Lord Buddha is saying, I can make exceptions to that. Because... He sees the mind of sabya, whether there is a tinge of, you know what, let me fall back. Let me f-. because when a person has spent their whole life uh, in wrong views, and we saw 63 major wrong views that the parikbajakas advocate, it's very difficult for a person to uh, recoil from those and be have revulsion and, and push them away, given the Dhammas revelation in their life if you want to call it the the light that it is Uh, that is something that a buddha or somebody like venerable anuruddha might be able to see as they envelope their mind with their with this person's so that's just a footnote and then we hear uh, we see sabia's response Bhante. if it is so that anyone who has belonged earlier to another sect or belief who desires the going forth and the higher ordination, the blessed one's dispensation, should stay under probation for four months, and only at the end of that four months period, if the bhikkhus are satisfied, they would give him the going forth and higher ordination, then I am willing to be under probation for four years. At the end of which, may the bhikkhus be satisfied and give me the going forth and the higher ordination this validates that um, what you know uh, we were concluding earlier that he's like okay four months no well let's go with four years i'm okay with that because this is my life now again when a person has truly seen with the eye of dhamma attaining the first level of awakening it's or you you know the fruition of it rather there's no way that anyone can come and pay you enough money for you to relinquish it because it's 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 so real. It's it's, it's it's you, if you want to call it that. It's so certain. So that's what he's saying here. I am certain Bante is saying. I don't care if it's four years. Then the wandering ascetic Sabia obtained the going forth and the higher ordination in the dispensation of the blessed one. Soon after the higher ordination, the Venerable Sabia, while living on his own, ardent, secluded, withdrawn drawn from the crowd, diligently striving in his practice and with resoluteness, soon realized for himself and with direct knowledge in this very life. The highest goal of the holy life, for the sake of which good sons of families rightfully go forth from the lay life into homelessness. And he personally knew and understood with absolute certainty. Now, birth is destroyed. The holy life has been fully lived. What had to be completed has now been completed. There is no more rebirth into any state of becoming, with nothing more to wish for. And the Venerable Sabia became one of the arahants. So, so, so. that completes the circle of five big that we have been closely following for a few weeks. And I will pause now and open for uh, questions you may have. Thank you for listening. Any questions, thoughts, comments? It's a lovely it? Their lives weren't that different than ours, although the mind wants to think that they were, but they're not. Every time you sit to meditate, you're experiencing the same difficulties that Venerable Sariputta faced, Venerable Sabiya faced, and everyone that you read about. Perhaps not Venerable Bahia. But sometimes we like to pull ourselves out of the equation and say, no, 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 my case is different. Our time is different. Or that's another form of delusion where Sanya and Sankaras are, are really doing their number on us. And it's, it's crucial for us to be uh, aware and alert And, and, and sannyas cannot exist if we take them out of uh, uh, from the temporal uh, scene, meaning uh, the past or the future. The next sutta that I um, would like to uh, cover with you, I think that will be week 10, uh, not next week, the one after, will be on the Maddi Karatta sutta, where there the first uh, the The first line of the verse says no longer being overtaken by thoughts of the past, excuse me, or uh, of the future. But that's where we usually linger. That's where sannyas are. You take the past and the future, sanyas, just like mannequins, they just like drop. There's no life. And it is our life that they're stripping us from. And yeah, just uh, they're very sneaky, very tricky. So being mindful of them is a good thing. It needs to be a constant thing. Any thoughts, questions? Bhante, thank you for
2: your um, discussion and reading of the sutta. I just wanted to mention how that was a wonderful uh, criteria that you shared with us in terms of detecting whether sanya is acting in us, you know, whether asking ourselves, is, is are my thoughts about the past? Or are my thoughts about the future? And immediately one can know that, oh, okay, well, I'm t- time involved in time traveling. In other words, so that's, I find that to be a great way to, a criterion to detect whether sannyas are at work.
0: Yes, and and they use the six senses very well. They're very attached to each other. What I mean by that is, it could be a flavor, it could be a smell especially if you're, let's say, hungry, and you smell someone cooking or uh, incense or something, or a smell that is not appealing. Instead of being carried over by what, because sannyas are there, they will come. Why? Because there was contact. With what? Well, the nose made contact with a smell, Okay, that created consciousness immediately. And because of that, there's the contact, right? So the contact, Sonia says, I got this. It's so fast. Sonia jumps in and says, thank you guys, appreciate it. Goes in and starts building this Hollywood type of like story. Suddenly, your heart rate is racing, your muscles are getting tighter, or, and there's someone, let's say someone's sitting next to you and asking you a question. You're not there though. You're gone in La La Land. That is the real La La Land. <laughs> because the senses have done their thing. But because of a lack in mindfulness, the person wasn't able to catch it fast enough. So how can we catch it? How can we catch sannyas from taking over and just going? The moment you are able to smell any smell, before it goes down the junction, right? Like in the Bambika Sutta, the, we had the junction where, you know, keep digging, keep digging with the sharp object. Oh, uh, wise one. And there was a junction. There was a fork in the path. Don't be pulled into that. Meaning, oh, it's a lovely smell. Oh, yes, patchouli smell. Yes, I remember when I was in Sri Lanka. No, that, no, no, leave it there. Oh, that's a horrible smell. Like we had a neighbor that used to cook something or dead something and that's where this mind is, no. Both are irrelevant. Both are glued to the black hole that is Sanya. And once you go with either one of them, you're sucked into the, if you will, like get a little bit scientific on this one, uh, event horizon, and you can't be pulled out of that. You pass the point of no return. You're gonna be pulled into the Sanya, to the story. So instead, the moment you detect, and this is where mindfulness has to be holding your hand constantly would come in and say what is that not the quality of the smell this is what lord buddha was saying to bahia don't be pulled in you're not going to be in it of it by it within it in between it none of that but you'll just smell and you will identify it as ah this is smelling. This is the process of smelling. Okay. And guess what? You just cut the cord. You're no longer bound up. What we saw here several times being mentioned by the roots and the shackles or the traps of the sunyas, Because sannyas are by themselves, they're attached to the fetters, the more and more and more things that bind. The asavas is another word, uh, another phrase, another term for them, so are defilements, the kileshas. So it's far more useful, I've discovered, and from my own practice, to instead of be uh, um, sitting down and delineating what categories these things represent, what these are, let's say, asavas, uh, kileshas, uh, sangyojanas, all these things, you know, uh, um, contaminants, defilements, um, um, fetters, all these things, instead of, because that can take us into intellectualizing we can turn into one of the Paribhajakas like Savya was. And that's when even Dhamma can turn into wrong view. Yes, Dhamma can turn into wrong view when we attach ourselves to it, the teachings. And it's not, nothing's gonna be done with the Dhamma. The Dhamma is Dhamma. The teachings are the teachings. But for us, it will become a hindrance. and the person will not see beyond their ego, beyond their conceit, beyond their idea of what is supposed to be the case. So instead of getting into that intellectual world of having everything make sense, bring it to the body, bring it to the body. That's more real. Because the six senses are here. And they're always communicating, they're always communicating with the outside world and the inner, of course. But the one to detect it, as always, is is none other than the protagonist in this case, which is sati, mindfulness. To get it to become mahasati, eventually, great sati, where it goes with you everywhere you go. Uh, I sometimes uh, for newbies, complete newbies uh, people who've never meditated proper they don't practice uh, individuals such as uh, people I try to help in uh, psychotherapeutic circles in, in, in trying to introduce mindfulness to them sometimes I say I recently shared this technique with them I said how about this every time you walk from uh, from one room to the next. You're going through a doorway of some sort. Can you be mindful as to which foot you are entering or exiting with? Anyone? Yeah, I could do that. So forget about the breath or anything. Just try to make mindfulness more, more and more dynamic in motion. That way, it allows the person to become a lot more cognizant. So you'll have more pockets here, more pockets of mindfulness here. But eventually, they'll turn uh, wider. They'll become bigger and more pronounced until they join each other. And now you have mindfulness throughout the day, most of the day, which is wonderful. Because that means you have that much of an opportunity, which you didn't up to that point, more opportunity for wisdom to come in. And that's what's gonna allow us to see the junction as like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna step into that trap. So yes. Any other thoughts, questions?
1: Yes. Ante, so as usual, I like to be able to apply what I hear you saying at least into my own life and to know when I'm actually achieving what I should be and when I may be on the wrong path. So when I hear you talk about um, the sanyas and, and not being taken to the past, et cetera, I'm just trying to get clear in my mind where, the, where this would take me. Am I at the, would I be considering that I'm successful if when a senya arises, I immediately give it up, I pick it up and I give it up. And so when something arises, I can let it go and it, it doesn't become the habit. And I can also replace it perhaps with something wholesome if it is unwholesome. Or is the achievement we're looking for more um, where we don't have any senya in the first place to, and to my mind, that, w- that would certainly keep us in the present. It would stop us going into the past, into the future. But I can't imagine easily a time where, or people operating in real life with no senya. We we wouldn't be able to exist. People would always have to do things for us. And obviously, I've, I've heard stories of people having to care for arahants. And perhaps that's part of the reason why. But um i can't imagine not having some level of perception and identification and then making decisions about what would have to be done based on where we are and what we're doing so um, am i incorrect in thinking that we should eliminate senia completely or is it just the fact that we're looking for an ability to let it go and get rid of any unwholesome thoughts and out of the past and stay in the present, be mindful when we have senior.
0: Um, the two options that you presented, um, they're both juicy. <laughs> and uh, I like to um, start with uh, the first one, uh, which has to do with, well, is there a point of eliminating no more having sanya, is that what we're shooting for? Is that where what we need to look forward to, what we're practicing towards? Well, no, uh, because the function of the, the mind is to think. But what it does when it's diluted, it thinks uncontrollably. There's a lot of identifications that take place, meaning sanyas have become the reigning uh, king or kings, or, but they happen one at a time, just like vinyanas. They follow one after another, but just the succession is pretty quick. So the person is unable to detach oneself from the sannyas, detach oneself from the sanyas why because there is this strong identification that we have that this is happening to me whatever it is this will happen to me in the future so there's dread worry fear for example or looking forward to expectation etc similarly with something that has happened in the past uh, regrets remorse oh, I broke a precept, oh, I, I, I broke all the precepts uh, for years, decades, oh, wow, how am I going to ever uh, kind of, you know, redeem myself, etc.? Again, identification. But it could be something even more, you know, simpler. The way I understand it, I'm not an Arahant. Uh, the way I understand it is that even an Arahant will have these things uh, because they're thinking. Now, what they do not, based on my research, uh, they do not uh, make new kamma, new action, be it by thought, be it by speech, be it by physical action. They're called, um, I once read somewhere, it's called kirya citta, it's, it's a pure, action in a sense, because there is no, their hands, their hands are not sticky, their fingers are not sticky. They don't hold on to images. A a typical situation would be something like an Arahant getting mad at a student, seemingly mad, scolding a student. And uh, some of these teachers in history, you would see them like really getting upset and uh, visibly. And uh, because they are in the presence of wrong view or they, their student comes in and uh, they're full of conceit and the teacher has to intervene, shake them off. The Buddha said, if you have a, a wood chip or a thorn going into your skin, you need something as sharp, if not sharper to pull it out with. So if there's ignorance, you, you need to go in. And for some of these arahants. Like Ajahn Munn was, was notorious for that. He would just really tear a student up. Uh, but then the next moment, it's like a totally different person. Literally the next moment. That was what was necessary at that moment, however. That moment itself dictated that type of a, a response, not even a reaction. And when you go and, and, and sit down and talk with someone like that, I'm presuming here, of course, they wouldn't necessarily, uh, well, they wouldn't uh, be dwelling on, can you believe that guy? I can't believe this. All these years I've been teaching you and you still come around and give me that stupid statement. Like, how could you, how could you call me, call yourself my, none of that because they're so tender, so alive. is as if every moment is fresh. Every moment is fresh. I mean, you see Devadatta, I mean, how bad of a person does a person need to be to be called evil? And this guy was it, Devadatta, Buddha's own cousin, brother-in-law actually also. Um, and, and he tried to kill him, literally. And then he would come back and Lord Buddha would still like he wouldn't have any grudges or anything like that, which would indicate the presence of Sanya identification. Now, does that mean that Lord Buddha did not have thoughts? Uh Aha. What we do is we attach Sanya to the stream of thoughts that are happening. Thoughts, meaning I'm seeing in this case, I'm using the six senses, for example. When the sunya come in and attach themselves, glue themselves to this water, me tasting the water, that is, or seeing the water, hoarding the water, not allowing you to drink because I'm keeping it for myself. I might need it later. This is all we have between the both of us. What happened? All these stories came in. That will not happen. in the mind of a person who is released. Released from what? Liberated from what? It's not like we reach the end of the pool after swimming like a limitless amount of laps and now we have to come to the dry land and we're done. Thank you very much. But it's much more pervasive than that, I would say, much more personal than that, much more real than that much more involved with our lives that is and uh, because it can easily turn into something metaphysical uh, like uh, the questions that i was referring to earlier um, like what happens to an arahant after they die do they go somewhere do they go to just like you say pure abodes for the anaga I mean, there's five realms maybe maybe there might be a realm for buddhas aha And now we opened up another can of worms, and we're deviating further and further down, totally uh, in Sanya land, uh, versus seeing the six senses as they occur, as they occur, instead of um, attaching the story. So that attachment of a story in that sense uh, doesn't happen. So if that, means sannyas don't occur anymore? Yes. In that sense, yes. However, when I say uh, there's no sannyas at all happening, a person might start thinking there's no thinking in the mind. because, And that's dangerous, in my opinion, because the Arahant is very alert, very aware. They are the embodiments of Mahasati and Mahapanya after all, for a reason. They don't stop keeping uh, or uh, the rules, for example, the 227 rules we must keep as bhikkhus. They don't stop, even though, you know, the boat, the raft is tossed aside. You know, Lord Buddha talked about the Dhamma being a raft. You don't carry it over the mountain, over your head after you got to the other shore. It, It drops it, but they are now living the Dhamma, but they are not collecting any dust like the verse said today. They don't collect dust. So if you wish to use the dust metaphor analogy as, as a representation of sannyas, by all means. Because you also, um, I, Khandavi um, vimutti I mentioned earlier Vajanman's uh, work, uh, where he says, uh, he asks someone, he's doing a riddle, basically. Um, So he's asking this uh, character, um, what dies? What dies? And the character responds to this riddle's question, that portion, it says, sankaras die. So there's no more constructing to go on. In that sense, yes, there are no more. And that's what I was referring to as uh, being fresh all the time, all the time. And you have many examples of um, uh, meditators, bhikkhus, who came out of a long meditation, sit and uh, And the other bhikkhus turn to them and say, Wow, your face is glowing. Your face, your face is glowing. Like you have that example happen. Uh, the one, I mean, there's so many, but the one, the one that comes to mind is Venerable Sariputta asking Venerable Ananda, I believe, What, what were you practicing? What was your object today? You know, or Venerable Mahakasapa. Uh, they would come out of their Nirodha Samapati um where um they were in cessation cessation uh perception and feeling perception and feeling it has ceased it has ceased now uh but because the buddha or the arahans have to function in the world they still use this is, this basically both of your questions are tied into the aggregates the khandhas so in that sense, uh, the way I understand this, of course, is uh, uh, when, a, when an uh, awakened person, not a hunt, is living out their days, it's also called uh, attainment with residues. Saupadi uh the term is. So they still have the residues of what? Residues of what? Egos? Conceit, um, defilements? No. Some people actually made those mistakes, considering the Arahants not fully that good. And the Mahayana people later on, they used some of these things to justify their own false uh, claims and saying, even actually putting down the Arahants as, uh, you know uh, you, know, low-quality meditators. Um, compared to the one that they were promulgating. So anyhow, um, but uh, in the case of the Arahant, they are um, not um, adding more defilements or anything like that. It's, it's cleansed, but and they're, they're not adding more akusala either, because as I said earlier, they, they, it's impossible for them to break sila, and if they do, they just didn't know it, so there isn't that intentionality behind the action, that's one, and the kanda portion, the body, if you remember, the four great elements, uh, that's the rupa portion of the nama rupa, Uh, but you have the intention, you have the attention, you have the perception, all these things that are necessary to run the Nama portion. But then we haven't even talked about Sanya, Sankara, right? And oh, Vedana, of course, and Vinyana, sense awareness. So these things will be with the Arahant, so long as they're alive. Once they breathe out their last breath, however, Anupadisesa takes place. They don't have any residues. So you do have arahants who have attained in the suttas, in the nikayas, uh, and immediately uh, they died. Uh, They wanted to die, basically. They they reached that point. Or they were on the verge of death um, and where they died like that. Um, and and, and um, there are cases where uh, bhikkhu was uh, really desperate and he had been trying so hard and diligently working sleepless, sleepless nights. And again, he didn't have the necessary paramis to develop fast enough. But he lacked in the Aditana department, the determination department. Up until that moment where he made the very strong determination that I'm going to die. This life is worthless for me if I don't attain freedom from delusion from avidja. At that moment, as he's about to die he attains arahanship and they say um, lord buddha sees this in his mind but he also knew that he was about to reach it so it was pointless for him to go and 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 uh, and when an arahant actually uh, dies like that uh, they call it blameless it's a blameless death um, so not to promote suicide or anything like that you know, but uh it's it's called uh, blameless Um, there's so many examples of this so anyhow lord buddha also sees this thing going around at night and i believe it was near the vulture's peak um, in rajgir Uh, it's a beautiful place it's on top of a a cliff there's this open plateau area small so that's where the buddha used to sit and he would see these things moving around and i believe one of the students asked him bante what is that And he says, oh, that's Mara." He's trying to find where the consciousness of this Bikkhu landed. And he's very frustrated because he can't find him. He's going around everywhere, every nook and cranny of existence, from the highest of Brahma realms, minus the pure down to the lowest hells. He can't find him. He's thinking that he did not attain. And the Buddha says, but he did. That was the last of him. We're gonna see him, the big cook. So I don't know, I'm, I'm giving you a lot of things. Uh, I hope I'm able to satisfy you uh, with your question.
1: Thank you, yes. I think my question was based on my thought that with, all, with some thinking there was also perception, but you're making it clear the distinction that we can be thinking without perception and that's where the answer came from.
0: Yes, um, um, but some people who are, you know, are gonna nitpick that answer possibly, they're gonna say, wait a minute, is the Arahant alive? And if the Arahant is still alive, then they'll say, well, the ag- aggregates are there. So it means that he is with, awakened with residue remaining, meaning the aggregates are there. And So long as we consider sanya to be part of the aggregates, and it is, they are, then the person might say, there goes that uh, statement or answer that you provided. The reason why I said uh, perception uh, and thinking, that I made that distinction between the two, I was referring to sanya with its uh, dustiness the dusty quality to it where Lord Buddha is saying, there's nothing that can like, there's no dust to gather in the mind of the person. So I was just referring to that uh, interpretation of Sanya because if Sanya is always, at least when I represented here talk about it, is the, the architect, the magician, then it's nothing good, right? So, but in essence perception, it has become convoluted because of our stamping of identity onto it through countless eons of samsara, of of rebirths. So we cannot even conceive of a perception where it is just pure, meaning no images left over from the previous moment. Again, I'm not an Arahant, so an Arahant would be the most suitable. Anybody less than an Arahant, I believe, will give uh, a less than 100% satisfactory response, I would believe. So I will stop there. (laughs) But, you know, we do our best (laughs) and work towards that. Any other uh, thoughts or comments, questions before we close for today?
2: Uh, thank you very much, Pante. I guess if we were to recall the very you know, initial definition for dukkha, given in the four noble truths, it's jatipi dukkha, dukkha, birth is dukkha, aging is duka, dukkha, maranampi dukkha, soka paridewa dukkha, domana supayasapi dukkha, and sankitena in short. Pancha upadana dukkha, a pancha upadana kanda duka. in other words the practice is not to get rid of the kandas but rather to get rid of the attachment towards the kandas mm-hmm. so i mean um, i guess we have to live with um, uh, vedana our our form our vedana sanya sankara vinyana and um, not to, uh, the goal is not to get rid of them, but to get rid of the attachments towards them. I hope that makes sense.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, thank you for your contribution there. Uh, very well uh, placed. Um, yes, and we see that term a lot. And uh, I believe uh, it was in the previous, uh, in Kumara Kassapa's uh, riddles, um, uh, the riddle of uh, the Vamika Sutta, where near the end of the questions um, where we are finding I believe it was the tortoise um, where Lord Buddha talks about the five aggregates Um, but he doesn't say five aggregates he just doesn't say just the five aggregates he also says the five grasping aggregates grasping aggregates That's what I was referring to earlier in my answer to you, uh, Greg, of the, this is mine, this is me. I use the word identification, which is another form of grasping, of course. So uh, even feeling or, or, you know, Vedana is very, very personalized in the mind of a non-arahant. But the Arahant will look at the feeling as just feeling, as the example was with uh, Bahia. That's what Lord Buddha was trying to teach him. And he uh, did a good job in teaching him because he got it. Uh, when you see, just see. Seeing is perceiving. Seeing uh, is a perception which denotes a consciousness which denotes in itself the sense organ and the sense object. So, but the problem with most of us is that we make it our own. That's why we call it the grasping aggregate, grasping, Kanda Upadana. And that's what I was referring to earlier when I was referring to Adana Patinisagga. The term actually is Adana Upadana Patini Sagga. but we are removing the Upadana from the center, the grasping part, because it's like a bunch of people uh, when there's a flash flood and there's a bunch of people trying to help stop creating some type of a barrier to stop the flooding of the river, for example. So everybody's got sandbags, some people are filling it up, but you have a hundred people passing the handbag I mean, I'm sorry, the sandbag over. Passing it, passing it. Picking it up, giving it away. Picking it up, giving it away. The Arahant is the perfect example of that. He will never pick up the sandbag and hold. But that's what we do. That is using the kunda with upadana. This is my perception. This is my sense awareness, etc. So these are uh, ways of looking and each of us will see things from our own perspective to some degree, but essentially they have to come to unison in the understanding that, especially given the question, uh, that the kundas are not going to, leave a person simply because they are um, an arahant. You see this, however, in certain yogi cultures, like you see it in India, where people have to go and dress the person, they have to feed them with a spoon. It's almost like a zombie. The person has become a vegetable. That's not the arahant of Lord Buddha's dispensation. That never is the case. If the person behaves like that, they're definitely not practicing the Dhamma, they're doing something else. Um, So I hope, um, but thank you for that, uh, Batisa. So I'll stop here uh, and if you have any further questions, uh, please uh, email them to me and I'll do my best to respond. May suffering ones be suffering free and the fear struck fearless be. May the grieving shed all grief and may all beings find health relief. May all beings share in these merits that we have thus acquired for the acquisition of all kinds of wholesome happiness. May beings inhabiting space and earth, devas and nagas of mighty power share in these merits. May they long protect the Buddha's dispensation. Sad, sad, sad. And I'll see you next week. Uh, please be safe um, and practice practice without forcing the mind to do any acrobatics just be with whatever's happening but no don't fool yourselves this is what's supposed to be happening this, no, just, just observe there's so much going on for us to see so I'll see you next week if you are.